Tucson Electric Power is actively building a cleaner energy portfolio to reduce carbon emissions and require less groundwater by 2035. We have all the details, and trust me when I say there are lots of them on today's podcast. I'm excited to learn what they are up to, and I think you will be too. So stay with me, and thanks for joining us. I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, a.k.a. Mrs. Green, and this is Down to Earth Tucson with Mrs. Green. And I think you can hear it in my voice, everybody. I'm very excited to have Jeff Yockey, who's the Director of Resource Planning at Tucson Electric Power, and I'm excited that he's joining me today for lots of reasons. What Jeff's going to talk about is big. It's impactful for the environment, and it's reflective of where good leadership can take us when it comes to clean energy. Jeff, it really is great to have you here. And when we spoke earlier today, I said, how could it be that you were on the show four years ago? It's like, I said, yeah, I said to Kelly, I think he was on last year. And then I looked it up and it was 2016. So I'm glad you're back. Yeah, I'm very glad to be here. Planning is a continuous process, so maybe I'll be back in three or four more years. Well, I hope so. And you and I talked about that a little bit too. You hope it's not in 15, and I'm kind of hoping it was, but we'll see what happens. So there's a lot of good news as far as I'm concerned, and there's quite a bit of ground to cover. But before we dive in, I really wanted to share a little bit more about you because it's hard for me to imagine all you have experienced made happen, facilitated, seen changed in the rapidly changing, fast-paced world during your almost 20-year tenure with TEP. And I was thinking about it today. Looking back, you have a lot in that looking glass for where TEP was 20 years ago and where where it is today. It kind of blows my mind. So you joined TEP in 2001. That's right. You currently serve as Director of Resource Planning. And this is the piece that got to me. Your primary responsibilities are only limited to developing the integrated resource plan, overseeing analysis with recommendations for major generation infrastructure, and providing forecasts of fuel use, generation, and emissions for TEP and its sister company, Unisource Energy Services. So, you know, I wanted to be a little bit of a smart act and say, so Jeff, how's that working for you? That's a lot. (laughs) It's really a lot. And um, you don't have to comment. So I wanted the audience to get a sense for who you are and what your your scope of work is because it's pretty big. So now I'm with the show for reals. And I think there are four major buckets that I would like to cover during your time here with us because there is so much going on and we have to consider what I call the absorption rate because a lot of times the number of megawatts gets lost in translation. And I would like you to talk a lot about percentages. And to me... Bucket number one is that TEP plans to provide more than 70% of its power from wind and solar by 2035. So do tell. What do you want to tell us about that? Because that's big. Yeah, no, that, that's a, one of the fundamental parts of our, um, of our integrated resource plan. And I guess I should say thank you for that introduction. I, I have an excellent staff, so that's how I, I get a lot of that work done. So, um, but yeah, we're, we're, you know, we've, been developing renewables um, for a number of years already, but really, we're really taking a, a, a big new step. Um, over the next couple of years, we're going to be doubling the amount of utility-scale renewables that we have on our system. We have three big projects coming, the, the Oso Grande Wind Project, which will be um, um, TEP's largest 
renewable um, resource. Uh, it's a wind project in, in New Mexico, and we're going to be the owners of that. Um, we've also have a, um, that's, that should be coming online later this year. We also have the Wilmot Energy Center, and that's a um, solar and storage uh, re- renewable resource. And that, that storage will be sort of the first time that we'll have a, a battery system that's large enough to really you know, hold energy during certain parts of the day and, and use it when, it when it's needed more. So, um, and that's, it, that's sort of the first of what's going to be many of those types of resources on our system. And then we have another um, um, fairly large wind project up near our Springerville Generating Station um, called Borderlands. And that one's sort of taking advantage of existing transmission because transmission's very important to, to wind. You know, the, the, the sun shines almost everywhere, but you have to be in the right place and you have to have a way to get that wind energy to, um, to Tucson and to, to the load center. Um, so it is, uh, it's going to be a mix of renewables. Um, we're in sunny Tucson, but it, it can't be all solar all the time because, um, you know, you need to sort of diversify that, uh, that renewable offering so that, you know, when the sun's not shining or the wind's not blowing, maybe one of the other resources is, is picking up the slack. And, and that's really what allows us to, to take those renewables and replace our conventional fossil resources with that. Um, so that's, in a nutshell, that's sort of where the, the plan's going. It's a mix of solar, wind, and storage over the next 15 years. Um, and through that, um, you know, making that resource our, our, the majority of the energy that, that's supplied to our customers. So I'm sitting here thinking that, yes, I interviewed you four years ago, but when I first went to the podcast format and built the studio, I remember Paul Bonavia coming to the studio, sitting there, and he was in Dave, Dave Hutchins, replaced him as the president and CEO. And he said to me, Mrs. Green, he was just so fun to have in the studio. Our biggest challenge is storage. And here you are, not that long, you know, it wasn't that long ago talking about the advancements. And I really was t- spending a lot of time reflecting on when you were on before and now, let alone when Paul Bonavia was on and the advancements in solar because of storage. So that's so encouraging for me to hear. Very encouraging. Yeah, I just want to say one thing. that, um, And yeah, that, that, that storage is the key. I mean, that, that's the thing. Renewables are intermitt- intermittent and you need to be able to... Um, you know, store it when you have excess and use it. And it really has been, I mean, when we spoke, um, you know, back in 2016, you know, storage didn't really look that viable. And now it looks more than viable. We're actually putting it on our system and, and planning for, for um, large amounts of it. So that, that's really been a sea change um, in how, how affordable that um, is becoming now. It's still relatively expensive, but over time it's going to be... Um, much, much more affordable, and we're going to take advantage of those um, those cost declines. And that's really make, it's just so good on so many levels that we don't have to even go into it. So thanks for adding that comment. So bucket number two is of great interest to me as well. You, meaning TEP, proposed retiring TEP's remaining cold fire power plants over the next 12 years. So can you tell us a little bit about how all of that is going to roll out What's happening in that arena? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so this is a transition that that's really been underway for a while. Um, we 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 started eliminating coal from our um, portfolio of resources, you know, back in 2015, and we started right here. 
um, when we stopped um, using coal at the Sunt Generating Station down down at I-10 and Alvernon at our plant there. So um, since then, we've retired a unit in New Mexico at the San Juan Generating Station, the Navajo Generating Station, which we had um, a, a small percentage ownership in, that retired um, at the end of last year. And then we have one more um, plant that's closing um, or, or unit that's closing at the San Juan Generating Station in 2022. And, and through all of that, we will have, at that point, retired 41% of our, of our um, coal capacity. And then, so in this IRP, we really started looking at our remaining coal capacity. And, and, the, and the biggest piece of that is sort of our flagship um, resource, which is the Springerville Generating Station. So we, we do need Springerville still right now. It's a very important resource for, um, for both capacity purposes and reliability. It's got fuel on the ground, um, but we don't need it all year. You know, it's really that summertime that we need it the most. So what we're going to start doing is moving to um, seasonal operations where, you know, one of the units will sit idle for, for several months of the year. Um, then they would probably both operate in the summer, and then another one will sit idle for the other months of the year. So in those fall and spring months when we really don't need that capacity, we, uh, we won't be generating from those, and therefore we won't be uh, having any emissions from them. Um, ultimately, as um, you know, what we just talked about, as the, the renewables and, and storage become more cost-effective, we'll be able to actually completely take those out of our system, and around 2027, we'll be retiring one of the units and then the second unit around 2032. Um, so that, that long transition allows us to, to do that um, um, without any planned layoffs. We should be able to do that through attrition or reassignments within the company. Um, and it also gives the, the, the communities you know, uh, time to, to plan for sort of the replacement in terms of their economy that the, that the Springville Generating Station has provided over the last um, you know, 40 years. And, you know, we roll, you know, for me, I'm an environmental educator. So when I hear that we're going to retire coal-fired power plants, that's a really good thing. But in this journey for me, what that means is people losing their jobs. And Springerville, I, I had a cabin in Greer, which is 12 miles away. And TEP is the industry there. And there's the football stadium that has the big TEP letters on it. So it just does not surprise me at all that you are trying to support a just transition because I've, I've interviewed a lot of people from TEP and made some friendships. So knowing that that is an issue doesn't surprise me, but it makes me feel a lot better. You just don't close the plants. Their jobs, their lives, there's community. So I want to applaud you all around because we still have to keep going in that direction regardless. So thanks for adding that piece. Sure. Okay. Are you ready for bucket number three? Sure. I like this bucket idea because it's like <laughs> there are big buckets. When I looked at the show notes, I'm like, holy smokes, this is a lot of content. So you're building a cheap, uh, cleaner energy portfolio that will reduce carbon emissions 80% and require 70% less groundwater by 2035. So these things you're doing end up being massive reductions in CO2. So I want you to tell us exactly what that means. And then you have to tell me, even me, Mrs. Green, how is groundwater reduction so interrelated to reducing the carbon emissions? Why is that such a big, huge savings? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll start with the carbon, uh, the, the CO2 emission reduction. So, so we did set a goal um, uh, with this integrated resource plan 
to reduce our carbon emissions 80% um, from 2005 levels. That's a pretty common benchmark that's used um, by 2035, by the end of this planning period. Um, But we we also wanted to sort of focus on what those carbon reductions mean and and sort of align them with with global efforts to address climate change. That's Ultimately, that's what it's about. It's not just about um, reducing emissions. It's about addressing climate change. So we worked with the University of Arizona's Institute of the Environment, and they developed a methodology whereby we could sort of look at those emission reductions and look at our our cumulative emissions um, over this this whole planning period and then um, sort of relate that to some of the international um, uh, goals relating to reducing temperature change. Um, um, like the the goals under the Paris Agreement. So that was a very constructive um, um, collaboration that we had with them. And um, so we we looked at that and um, let me see. So then on the water side, um, it's, you know, it it really is sort of the same thing. The the majority of our emission reductions, uh, or the majority of our emissions come from coal. You know, similarly, the majority of our water use comes from coal. These, are, these um, coal-fired plants are steam boilers, so they use um, water to cool off, the, um, you know, to, to cool off after it goes through the, the turbine. Right. And um, so, so the, really, the only way to do that, but you can't just use less, it, it, that's really where it is kind of key to, to have the retirements and the seasonal operation. And you know, through retiring all our coal by 2032, it's about a 70% reduction in total um, water use. And we will have eliminated um, the use of surface waters. All the waters, um, like at, at the Navajo plant and the Four Corners plant that use surface waters, um, we will have completely eliminated that as well. So, so that's really where you know the, the two big environmental attributes in terms of carbon and water are sort of integrated into this plan. It's huge, and I just I'm really glad that you brought up the University of Arizona Institute to the environment. They're good friends of mine and certainly friends of the planet. And when that partnership was announced and continues to unfold, it gets bigger and bolder, if you ask me. I think it's a very important example of a big utility company partnering with the University of Arizona. It's right here in our community, right in TEP's backyard. And it's something that I hold up as a model for the country to look at because there's a lot of really great brain power there and people committed to the same thing. So kudos for that. Yeah. 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 It's like, come on. Okay. So now this is, the, this is not a trick question, but to me, it's the biggest challenge that I think I had to learn in my journey in this role of Mrs. Green. Um, so it's not stump the guess, but... Part of what you have to do in your job, okay, we all want reliable power. We, when, when I go home and it's 107, I want my air conditioner to work. We want our energy to be affordable. And many of us want it to be sustainable. And they all have to be considered in whatever planning you do. Power has to be reliable, affordable. And not only to the consumer, but the planet makes it essential that whatever direction you go in has to be sustainable. So here's the question. How do you balance all that? What measures are you taking to make sure all those three things fit in some type of plan? 
Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, a, it's an excellent question because that really is, that's the challenge. I mean, it, it wouldn't be too hard to keep things affordable if you, if you, you know, didn't um, regard the, the environment or the impact on the environment. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think the idea is to sort of get that balance and, and really what we've done and we really, um, you know, took it to a, a new level with this integrated resource plan is we, had, we, we listened to our stakeholders. We formed an advisory council um, made it was was balanced between um, customers, um, local governments. Um, we had low income representatives, senior representatives, um, environmental advocates, um, you know, distributed generation, rooftop solar representatives, and then economic development. So we, we brought all of those individuals into a room, um, and they met for over a year at uh, uh, nine different um, meetings. And we sort of took that opportunity to, to take a deep dive into what are the trade-offs with different resource decisions. And, and that's really the only way to do it is to really have some time to, to um, you know, have dialogue back and forth, um, you know, with, with this, this group of advisors. And, and through that, we, we think that we saw, we, what we think we um, were able to accomplish through that was a, 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 an educated and informed group of advisors they could sort of bring the values that, that they all have and to bear on, on those resource decisions. Um, that, that whole process culminated when we held a public workshop. At this point, we were in, um, in COVID territory, so it was held um, you know, um, virtually online. Um, but e- during that workshop, each of the advisors, um, or, or all the advisors that were able to, to make that, um, they spoke. And they spoke not only to TEP, but to the public in terms of what was important to them. And, and that's really how we achieved that balance. We took that input, looked at the many different um, portfolios that we had um, evaluated, and um, you know, from from that input formed what we call our preferred portfolio, which is is the one with the you know eighty percent emission reductions and the seventy percent water use and the seventy percent renewables by twenty thirty five. That that all came out of that process. That's huge. I mean, that is really huge. I want everybody to who's listening to kind of press pause like I'm doing and thinking about what that meant. List, just listening to your consumers matters to me because I am one. And to um, involve and engage and listen to the stakeholders, I think it's really important. And I think it's going to become more and more important in the weeks, months, and years to come. People want to have a voice. And... Um, I know I'm one of them and I'm raising mine. So that is another high five to to just position you all for success as well. It's like the green trifecta. Everybody wins and feels listened to. Sometimes if I don't get my way, but I know people really listened, I'm okay with that. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I think we needed people to come to that with their points of view, but with the ability to to understand the points of view of the of the others that were involved as well. Yeah, there's another side to it. So, with all of these buckets and all this conversation and the advisory group, what does it mean? All these measures mean for Tucson, and why does it matter? Not not just so much to our community, which we know it does, but to the planet and. How does it position us nationally? Because I pay attention sometimes. I read an article this morning about what Microsoft's initiatives are, and they're laudable and aggressive, and I don't know how the heck they're going to do it. But talk to me a little bit from your point of view. 
What does it mean for Tucson and why, why does it matter so much to our community? Because you know it does. Yeah, I, I, I want to take the, the, the part about where we sort of sit um, nationally first, because I think that will lead into it. Um, um, so we, you know, the U of A actually is part of their work with us. They, they did a survey of what other utilities were doing in terms of setting um, emission reduction goals. Um, and you know, we think 80% by 2035 you know, is, is, a, is an aggressive goal. And it positions us for, you know, to, to, to take the position as, of a le- as a leader in terms of utilities addressing climate change. Um, there will still be a lot of work to do after 2035, and, and we're we're going to continue to plan and, and try to um, continue to make improvements. But but we think it positions us well. And and why it matters to to um, Tucson is we we know we've heard from our customers, we we heard from um, the community that 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 they want those things. They want reliability, affordability. They want to address climate change. It it it, it fits very well with their values. Um, and what this plan does should should reassure our customers and our community that we're taking the long view and that that our there are actions that we're taking now and that we're planning on taking are going to position us to to maintain that affordability maintain that reliability and make significant um, reductions in in co2 emissions um, and then just as a you know from the uh, the perspective of a individual customer you know everybody sort of wants to do their part Everybody wants to sort of take the steps that they that they can in order to address um, you know a you know, significant global issue like, like climate change, and the way we view it is it, it having TEP sort of you know take a leadership role in terms of reducing emissions. Everybody, by virtue of their being a TEP customer, gets to sort of take credit for that. So we can sort of help our we help our customers achieve their goals by TEP setting ambitious goals and, and working to achieve those as well. That's really a great answer. And I mean it. It just it it all just matters. So is there anything that doesn't maybe fit in one of the buckets that I missed that you would like to share or do you think we covered it? <laughs> no, I think that was good. I, I guess I'll just follow up with one little piece just about what we just talked about. And because we do know that a lot of our customers have different sustainability goals and and I'll give one example. Um, Pima County was on our um, advisory Council and Pima County has been taking a lot of steps. They have a a, um, a rigorous and detailed plan to um, you know sustainability plan, and we were able to through TEP's IRP really put them um, you know, well down the road of achieving their goals. So it's just an example of how kind of working together um, we can sort of you know all sort of move to in that in that common direction. And it's great that you give a shout out to them because they are a big, huge part of this community. They have a huge carbon footprint. And I, I agree with you. I think they're on board for what I call serious commitment to climate action for mitigation and um, adaptation. So I'm glad that you used an example. So at the end of the show, people know that I usually say my last words and it's kind of a joke because I always like to get the last word and I'm changing it up a little bit this time and probably it's because of COVID, probably because of the coaching of my team to bring this up. So before I do the regular reflection on the show today, I'm asking you, our listeners, to seriously consider becoming a patron of Mrs. Green's World because we could use your help. We show up every day working to make a difference in our community, our country, and the planet, and we really could use your support. And trust me when I say, no amount is too small. We have people doing 
$2 a month. We have people doing $100 a month. Um, nothing's too big either. I want to throw that in for that matter. And you can look in the show notes for this show and you are one click away from becoming a Mrs. Green's World supporter. And we hope that some of you are inspired to step up. And now my last words on what we just talked about and why it really matters. I am someone that's been passionately involved in the matters of the environment and preservation of this planet of ours for a very long time. As a matter of fact, I think I don't get invited to some dinner parties because that's pretty much what I want to talk about. So it goes without saying that I care deeply about everything we just discussed. I'm not a podcast host. I am an environmental educator. So these things matter to me. And I know that the clear and present danger of climate change is relentless. I know that there's only summer haven left in in Tucson and the Santa Catalinas and everything else burned. And I know that it will require extreme measures that will call for you know, maybe not even call for, but demand us to adapt and figure out ways to mitigate its impact. Shows like this, work that Jeff Yockey and his team at TEP are doing, partnerships that have been formed, like the one mentioned between the University of Arizona and TEP, give me hope that we have a chance. And trust me, everybody, there are days when I just put my head down on the desk after another, you know, climate report comes out and I think, and then I do a show like this and I say, we can't give up. We have to keep the pressure on all of us to know better, do better, advocate for better, because there's so much at stake if we don't. And once again, I find myself authentically valuing and appreciating the work of TEP and feeling again that our community needs them to help be the lead, be in charge of this battle to win the fight against climate change or at least climate mitigation. And the only way we're going to do that, and everybody knows this true, and TEP knows this, is by working together. So, Jeff, I sincerely thank you for being a wonderful guest again. I hope we have you back before four years because you'll have some late-breaking new um, discovery that accelerates it even more. And, of course, my final thanks goes out to all of you, our wonderful, amazing listeners, because without you... There would be no us. So, Jeff, thank you for taking the time. You've got a really big job description, and I appreciate it that you took the time to do this. Yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Okay, take care, everybody, and stay safe. Mm